Hello, hockey humans of the world, and welcome to Tough Call Pod Season 2, where I talk about all things player safety in the NHL. Questionable hits, controversial calls? Join the over 2,500 others who follow me on Twitter, at Tough Call Blog. Like and follow the Tough Call Facebook page, and find me on Instagram as well, Tough Call Podcast, for videos of all the latest incidents and to hear my takes on them. Send me your own clips of any hit or call you'd like me to talk about, and take a second right now and hit the subscribe button on this podcast. And while you're there, you could also leave me a review, preferably five stars. It'll really help me reach even more people and get the message out on how we can reduce the instances of head contact and concussions in hockey. Did you subscribe? Perfect. And thank you. Now on with the show. With every team now past the 28-game halfway mark of this shortened 56-game season, it's a good time to take a look at, uh, is my disciplinary system working? Would it have had any meaningful or positive effect on the 2020-2021 season? Wow, that's a mouthful right there. What overall trends have I picked up on, and who are my notable repeat offenders? And what would I have done to help all players not repeat dangerous behavior in the future? Because it's all well and fine to say this person should be suspended for this, that person should be suspended for that, but there has to be some purpose to it, some pattern or consistency for players to recognize, to understand, and be able to execute going forward. That's the whole point. For me, that purpose has always been clear to lessen risk and reduce injuries by asking players to execute all actions within the realm of a hockey play purpose. It sounds like common sense, right? Well, if you've been following along at all so far this year, you'll see that it's clearly not common sense. When I go through some of the things I've noticed this year, and more importantly, some of the things that have happened over the last five seasons that still continue to happen on a regular basis, it's painfully obvious players are not getting the message. That is, if there's even a message to get. Now, please keep in mind, most of this was prepared before the Tim Peel hot mic debacle. I'm not going to get into that specifically. First of all, because I think it's an absolute joke that after the equivalent of about, what, three minutes of investigation, they decided to relieve Tim Peel of his duties. Also, curiously, the only statement I saw didn't even say they fired him, just that he wouldn't be working NHL games now or in the future. What does that even mean? Can he still be a consultant, an instructor? Could he still work for the Department of Player Safety? It sure sounds like he still has some options, and to me that's just fine, because making him a scapegoat for a longer-standing issue that goes right down to the fundamental principles of the NHL, that's gutless to make him a scapegoat for that. It's not an individual problem, it's a problem with the system. And second of all, it's because to me this isn't some big reveal, like some mind-blowing incident the way it is for others. It doesn't change anything for me. All the solutions I've brought forward, my approach to the game, my philosophy on officiating and player safety, and to improving the quality of the on-ice product, which should be the idea, right? All of my ideas and solutions would eliminate whatever this incident was. This one incident is no different than any other blatant display of disregard for the integrity of the game I've been battling against for the last few years. It's no different than the 30 easily preventable head injuries being called a minor penalty, if at all, and being ignored by the Department of Player Safety entirely. And then they finally suspend one. We don't all go, oh good, finally they're going to start taking headshots seriously. No, same thing like this. They fired Tim Peel. It's not going to change anything. It's no different than the NHL having some players putting rainbow tape on their blade for a day. And and we're going to say, oh good, they're finally going to properly tackle acceptance in hockey. No, they're not. We know the problem is bigger than that. It's deeper than that. So this Tim Peel mistake, the subsequent removal of him, I have no faith this is the big aha moment where something's going to give finally. I'm going to treat it as just another symptom lumped in with the others. 
and continue my overall agenda of changing the disease of the culture overall. Punishing Tim Peel won't change anything any more than suspending Tom Wilson will. Because individuals aren't the problem. The system is. The culture is. Those people are just playing within it. Someone else who plays within that same system is Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby lives and breathes hockey. He spends all his time and energy focused on making himself a better player. He's almost an actual machine in that sense. So if anyone is going to absorb any message sent by the NHL, it's probably going to be him, right? Well, as you might remember, his Penguins teammate Brandon Tanev was recently given a major penalty for boarding, and many hockey people and fans were wondering what the problem with the hit was. And Crosby himself is quoted as saying, I hope as players we get some clarity on what's a good hit and what's not. It's tough to really gauge when you're out there. I know it's fast, but right now it's really hard to know what is, in fact, clean and what's not. And when you're out there playing, it's important that you do know that. Of course it is. And he goes on to say, if they're, if they're going to err on the side of protecting us, I don't think I'm ever going to argue that as a player, especially with Tenorti being hurt. I get it. And I think you see some hits throughout the league, and especially in the first half of the season here. It's hard as a player to know. We look at a hit and we think, oh, that's a suspension. It's not a suspension. Or we think it's a penalty and it's not. And then you see the Tanev hit and penalty, and you don't expect a five-minute major. I think it just seems like it's a little gray right now. I'm never going to argue with them protecting us because I think that's what they're trying to do. Now, we can all interpret that statement in, in different ways, what Crosby said. But for me, it seems like players want a little tighter standard. They expect penalties. They look at hits and they go, oh, boy, that's a suspension. And then none come. So what do you do? You see a bunch of hits that aren't penalties. And then all of a sudden, one is. Do you stop doing it just in case you're the one out of ten exception that gets called? I show real-life examples every single night, which prove that obviously is not what happens. No, you keep doing it because you know you'll be one of the 9 out of 10 that gets away with it all the time. So then you develop a culture that breeds this recent statement from Matthew Kachuk now. Think about the difference between Crosby's statement and this Kachuk statement. His Calgary Flames are at a bit of a crossroads right now. They're having their character questioned a bit. And, of course, in the NHL, especially in the mind of players like Matthew Kachuk, the true test of hockey character is how tough you are. Are you going to be the one pushed around, or are you going to be the one doing the pushing? In his statement about an upcoming game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, he, he said, I guarantee you Toronto is watching us tonight, probably licking their chops the way we played. Those skilled guys over there, they're wanting a game like that on Friday and Saturday. And I'm already upset by how many of you who are listening are saying, yeah, of course, exactly. What's wrong with that statement? And taken as its own little snippet, you could say not much, really. He doesn't want the Leafs skilled guys to have an easy game. Great. I wouldn't want them to either. As always, as an isolated incident, it's really not that big a deal. But as far as the overall systemic problem, it's huge. Let's put it into context. According to Flames reporter Haley Sullivan, I follow her on Twitter and she's great, and she tweeted Matthew Kachuk on the message fighting Hall sends. Remember, Matthew Kachuk got in a fight uh, over a check against Johnny Gaudreau in a recent game against Toronto. And his quote was, the, the message that Fighting Hall sends says, don't touch Johnny like that. He says whether the hit was clean or dirty, the guys didn't like the hit. He's saying, on one hand, he's going, okay, skilled Leafs players, Matthew Marner, for instance, I'm going to make your life miserable. To prove my character and my worth to the NHL, I'm going to do whatever it takes to your skilled guys to make them have a bad game. And, of course, he turns around and says, though, if anyone ever hits my skilled guy, clean or dirty, he's not getting away with it. And again, I'm frustrated by how many people are going right now, sitting there going, yeah, what's wrong with that? It's honorable. That's hockey, Josh. What are you talking about? And 
I guess that's an okay way to live, but it doesn't seem to reward clean play. If I'm going to check someone cleanly and I'm going to have to fight anyway, I'm going to be villainized. Why wouldn't I take an extra shot? Why wouldn't I make it worth it by, by giving that cheap, dirty play? If I throw a dirty hit and then I stand in and fight, I'm considered an honorable player who lives by the code. Because, oh yeah, if you're going to be running around like that, as long as you fight and accept the consequences, then that's the code. That's honor. So I get to hit someone to injure them, and I get to beat someone else up, and I'm rewarded for that and look like a hero. And if someone hits one of my players, whether it's clean or dirty, you're telling me I'm allowed to go hit them back? And, and I'll be a good teammate for sticking up for my buddy. Even if I hit them kind of dirtily and challenge them to a fight, go them into a fight and then beat them up, that's playing with honor? Now, don't get me wrong. I can, I can see how in some cases that can work some of the time. I really do. Maybe it's because I grew up in a hockey universe. It's just ingrained in me somehow. But if I work hard enough, in my mind, I can make that make sense. And I notice so many people... They're resigned to, that's just the way it has to be to keep cheap shots out of the game. But is it? Is it really the only way? What about an NHL where a player, any player, star or not, takes a clean check and just goes on with the game? What about the honor of accepting when you've been bested by someone who's simply working harder than you in that moment? You lose a battle. There's, there's a lot of hypocrisy in hitting someone who's vulnerable and accusing them of admiring their past or turning their back or any excuse you want to make, victim-blaming excuse, and then going and thumping someone on the other side for doing the same thing to one of your players. Now, like every single thing I talk about, it works in individual cases. But again, overall, the culture that creates the system, it's too flawed. You have to recognize to admit how easily it can and does go wrong all the time. It's bad enough when we can't even agree on what a good or a bad hit is, but if you're like Matthew Kachuk and you don't even care whether the hit is clean or dirty, then what are we even doing? That's not policing the game. That's not following a code. That's making your own rules entirely. I think that's what ruins the game. I want to see skill and speed win. I want to see scoring chances. I want to see heavy contact and not have that player have to look around and wonder whether he's going to be jumped for throwing a check. But whether you agree with that or not, whether you want the fighting, the chippiness, the violence, whether you want the game to stay the way it is or not, as long as we're arguing about how to police the game, we'll never even pretend to question what it is we're even policing at all. Sidney Crosby's question still stands. What is a clean check? By all accounts, players are either confused by the rules as they're called now, or they don't even care what the rules are at all. So how can they possibly be expected to police anything properly? Even if you want fighting, even if you want the players to decide the game, even if you want the refs to put the whistles away, there has to be some clarity and some base agreement point to start at. This brings me to one final statement made by former NHLer Chris Versteeg. He was on a panel on a television broadcast and he said, Our superstars will never be able to be superstars until they call the game right. In order to do that, though, they have to define the rulebook. He's not wrong, but they have to define the rulebook. Call the rulebook. Whether you want it to be the officials or the players calling the shots, it has to be by a clearly defined rulebook. So that's what he's saying. So whether you're on the side of fighting in hockey or not, whether you're in the side of having big checks be clean or dirty, it doesn't matter. Everyone still needs to have consistency. Everyone still wants to have a rulebook to be followed. That's all I want. And if we had that, if we had the actual solution of a system based on a rulebook written with clarity and applied with consistency, all the symptoms we pick and choose to treat, like this Tim Peel thing or some of these suspensions, 
all those would go away because the culture would be set in stone. We need to stop arguing about how to bail the water out. We can simply plug the hole that lets it in. Let's do that. So that's my philosophy in general, keeping things to the rule book. First period, OT, preseason, playoffs, any player, any team, any scoreline. It's all the same. Consistency is the key to everything. And that can't just be on the part of the on-ice officials. It has to be supported by the Department of Player Safety. And they have to be more consistent than anyone to me. And here we are just over the halfway point of the season. So how am I doing? If I were the head of the Department of Player Safety, what does my season look like? How does it help players understand what's right or wrong? And how is it different from the real Department of Player Safety? I'm going to be referring to my notes as I go, so forgive any sound of rustling papers and things like that. That's just me turning the pages and looking at my notes. Um, a summary of my year right now, I have so far up to March 22nd, 111 suspensions and 30 fines for 141 total incidents where I felt supplemental discipline was necessary. But having said that, at least 10 of the suspensions never ever would have happened because of some of the precedents I set earlier in the year with my fines and suspensions to make sure players know what's right and what's wrong. I don't think a lot of these would have happened. And I guarantee you at least 10 of them wouldn't have happened because they were done by repeat offenders that would have already been serving suspensions when they committed another infraction that I felt deserved a suspension. So I made a note of, but in my NHL, those never would have happened because those players wouldn't have been playing in those games. So we're already down to 131 incidents just like that. 10 are wiped off the board. That never would have happened. And how many others wouldn't have happened because the players that committed those infractions would have seen these players being suspended for it and got them, gotten the message right away. To give you a couple examples of that, I'm going to look at trends I've picked up on. So 18 incidents of supplemental discipline were for slew footing. Those, all of a sudden, they're known as dangerous trips by the NHL's Department of Player Safety. And it's something that I picked on right from the start of the season. So in January alone, I would have had six suspensions or fines for either dangerous trips or slew footing. And of the 18 total incidents, seven of them were true slew foots. The other ones were just kind of dangerous trips that could go either way. Seven were actual true slew foots. So those should be the easiest ones of all. And I would say probably nine of them would never have happened because of the six fines and suspensions I put in January. And remember, the season didn't start till January 13th. So in the month of January, we're only talking just a little over two weeks of hockey. I would have had six fines or suspensions for this. So that's a trend I picked up on. I was hard on it right away. And I bet you a lot of the ones that are later on in the year would never have happened because players would have picked up on that. And this accounts, those 18 are, account for 13% of all my fines and suspensions. So imagine, we went from 141 at the start of the year, we're down to 10 because some of them never would have happened. And here's probably another 9 or 10 more that wouldn't have happened. And these are just the ones I disciplined. You can imagine how many more were actually just minor penalties in the game, these these foot from behind clipping with the foot or their leg sweep trips and for my actual fines and suspensions on january 13th day one i find jake vertanen for one of these january 16th i gave a fine to chris wagner and january 18th just two days later i gave my first suspension to wagner as a repeat offender so five days in it's clear i'm having none of this anyone tries this you're getting dinged and then after the suspension to Wagner on January 18th, four days later on January 22nd, Brendan Lemieux, big-time slew-footed Joseph of the Penguins, 
I would have given him a huge suspension for that. It was so blatantly not a hockey play. It was well after the puck was gone. It was, it was embarrassing. And it was only called a two-minute minor. In the first nine days of the season, I would have had two fines, two suspensions, one repeat offender, and one long suspension. And that would have solved three problems. It would have eliminated Slewfoot's and dangerous trips because players would know I take them seriously. And it would take Wagner and Lemieux both out as repeat offenders. Boom, just like that. So this is a win-win-win situation. And you've set the tone for the entire year. I bet you then, if Brendan Lemieux had got a big suspension on January 22nd like he should have, then on January 23rd, Mike Riley wouldn't have got a $2,500 fine for doing the same thing. And on February 4th, I guarantee you, Brendan Lemieux doesn't start that crap he started at the end of the game by skating through the crease near the goalie and clipping the goalie in the leg at the final buzzer and causing a big kerfuffle with fights and everything. He would not do that, first of all, because he wouldn't have even been playing in the game because he would have been suspended, but second of all, because he would have known better. He would have known that the NHL was coming down hard on that. So that's 13% of all fines and suspensions erased, just like that. Another trend in the NHL is cross-checking. And again, in the first two weeks of the season, I would have had nine fines or suspensions for cross-checking alone in the first two weeks. And overall for the season so far, from January 13th to March 22nd, I've had 32 total suspensions. And of those 32, 19 of them were to the head. Cross-checking to the head 19 times. So over 13% of my fines and suspensions are cross-checks to the head alone. Like, am I really asking too much here? 26% of my total discipline for the season so far is slew foots and cross-checks to the head. I mean, we, we haven't even dipped into anything questionable yet. This is some pretty low-hanging fruit here. And six of those cross-checks were repeat offenses that, again, I, I bet they wouldn't even happen because the offender would have been already fined or suspended and he would have known better. And even more of them wouldn't have happened because everyone would have seen in the first two weeks nine fines or suspensions for cross-checking? Boy. They're cracking down on that. We better settle down with the cross-checking. And, of course, a trend that will never seem to go away is boarding. I have 12 fines or suspensions for boarding specifically and 11 more for checking from behind, which sometimes involves boarding, but I call it more checking from behind. So there's 23 more fines or suspensions for boarding or checking from behind. That's 16% of my total. So we're already up to 52% of all my discipline so far for the year. You look at the original number of 141 fines and suspensions and you're going, Josh, you're crazy. You can't do that to players. But 52% of them are for boarding or checking from behind, cross-checking to the head, and slew footing. So am I really going that overboard? Would anyone honestly argue that those aren't major issues of concern in the NHL right now? Cross-checking, slew footing, boarding? I don't think so. I don't think you could possibly argue that those aren't major issues that you're tired of seeing. So I'd say I'm cracking down on just the right places. You know, spearing, there's an easy one for, for another three this year. Then you're left with the other ones like elbowing, illegal check to the head, charging, roughing, being the aggressor, butt ending, kneeing. You know, those things are all sprinkled in there in the last 50%. But I already have over half of my questions answered. Now, you can argue with me all you want about what a clean hit is or isn't, and you can question my philosophies around checking, but honestly, we're over 50% of the way through, and we haven't even got there yet. So this is some pretty easy stuff that the NHL can clean up, and if they're not cleaning that up, then you can imagine how reluctant they would be to clean up something like an illegal check to the head. Hi, folks. 
Thanks for listening to Tough Call. If you're enjoying my takes on head contact and player safety, but you'd like to hear me talk about other aspects of hockey, I'd like to take just a minute and tell you about another project of mine, Bolton from Bolton. Bolton from Bolton is where I, Josh Bolton, and my brother Matt, you guessed it, Bolton, set each other up for a lively hockey talk covering literally anything to do with it. It's not heavy analysis and stats, it's kitchen banter, like you do with your own family and friends. Head over to YouTube and subscribe to our Bolton from Bolton channel, that's B-O-U-L-T-O-N, or find us on all audio formats as well. We find ourselves funny, maybe you will too, and there's only one way to find out. See you there. And now, back to Tough Call. So that's the type of incidents I targeted and a little bit about how I've targeted them. But that's still, you know, 141 incidents to be fined or suspended. That's uh, a lot of individual players taking punishments. And not everyone is dirty, so I can see why people might think I'm being a little unfair to players. But I'm not. I'm being consistent. I'm holding all players equally accountable across the league. I don't care who they are, what team they play for. I don't care what their reputation is. I'm looking at the incident first and the player second. But we all know there are some players who cross the line more than others, so let's see who my system identifies as repeat offenders. I'm given a lot of individual suspensions, but is there any players that stand out? And uh, so some of my examples are Chris Wagner of Boston. He became my first repeat offender. He, he was fined once and then suspended for those dangerous trips we talked about, which is how I identified the slew footing problem in the league. And that was within the first week of the season. He got one fine and one suspension in a seven-day period. On February 5th, I dinged him again for boarding. So he's got three incidents between January 13th and February 5th. There's a, my first repeat offender right there. Elias Pedersen, kind of surprising, was next. He had elbowing on night one. And then I gave him a suspension for that slash on Sean Manahan that the, the real NHL fined him for. So it's not like I just invented the incident. It was a real incident that even the NHL fined him for. But I would have suspended him. Plus, he was already a repeat offender for an elbow they missed on night one. Uh, Tyler Myers was next for butt ending on January 18th. And that was, again, it was called a minor for roughing, the minor penalty for roughing. I gave him a major for butt ending. So it's, it is a penalty. It's not something I invented. It's an incident that really happened. But I just punished it more severely than the regular NHL. And then I got him again just three days later on January 21st when he got a match penalty for his hit on Joel Armia. Now, Again, I didn't invent that penalty. It's a real incident that happened. I'm sure we all remember it. He got a match penalty. And for me, because I was harder on him earlier, now that puts him into a repeat offender category where the real NHL didn't even suspend him for that, even once. So he doesn't have any incidents on their record. But for me, these are things I want to take out of the game. Butt ending and high hitting. So that's, that's three repeat offenders already within the first three weeks of the season. Get that stuff out of the game. It's not hard to do. If you take a stand, other players will see that and go, whoa, they're taking this seriously. And that brings us to Tom Wilson. Repeat offender of all repeat offenders. I got him for interference on February 25th, which is that late hit on Jankowski, which, you know, really, compared to some of the other things, butt ending, slew footing, this one isn't really that bad. It would have been a small suspension, but I would have done it nonetheless, just to have it on his record. And then, of course, on March 5th, that Bush League boarding to Brandon Carlo that under my system actually never would have even happened because he'd, be, he'd have been serving the previous suspension for that interference hit, that minor hit that some people think shouldn't have even been a penalty would have been a small suspension on my scale and it would have prevented a major, major head injury just a, shortly a little bit later. 
And then we wouldn't be having any of these conversations about Tom Wilson because he'd be on a first line, scoring a lot of points as he was this year. He wouldn't be doing things like this. Now, he was already a multiple repeat offender under my system from the last season, but these are just the ones from this year alone. I already have him as a repeat offender this year. And again, if, if it looks like I'm picking on him, but turning him into a repeat offender for these smaller offenses and not letting him get away with all those smaller ones makes it so that it won't lead to the bigger ones. And it helps him stay on the right side of the line and keeps him in the game. We want players like him in the game. The next repeat offender is Brad Marchand, cross-checking to the face on February 18th and cross-checking to the head on March 7th. And again, it's cross-checking to the head. These are not invented incidents. That's an easy thing to take out of the game. I'm not saying that I'm looking at a hit and picking on him and saying it was really dirty and that he stuck his leg out or that he had intent. I'm not guessing his intent or anything. You put your cross, your stick in a cross-checking fashion up towards a player's head. It's pretty clear what you're trying to do. And one of the incidents was just recently the Teddy Bluger incident on March 15th that left Bluger with an upper body injury and kept him out of the lineup. So there's been some high-profile injuries here. Uh, Anderson from Montreal injured with the slew foot. Teddy Bluger injured with this... High stick. Brandon Carlo, a major concussion that everybody talked about as the incident of the year. Lots of injuries are prevented under my system. Lots of high-profile injuries would never have happened if I'd been in charge of the NHL's Department of Player Safety. And are you going to try and argue with me that Chris Wagner, Tyler Myers, Brad Marchand, Tom Wilson, are these players ones that you wouldn't consider repeat offenders under any system? Other repeat offenders that I have under my system this year are Jake Muzzin, Elias Lindholm, Alex Chason, Charlie McAvoy, Mackenzie Wieger, Neil Pionk, Mike Riley, Brendan Dillon, Milan Lucic. I mean, would anyone really argue these as ab- absurdly clean players that shouldn't even be anywhere near the radar? Brendan Lemieux is another repeat offender under my system this year. He, he was already a carryover repeat offender from last season, but... I dinged him for that slew foot against P.O. Joseph that I mentioned earlier. That was on January 22nd. So again, we're talking the first week or two of the season. And then on February 4th, he started that dust-up at the end of a game where he skated through the crease and clipped the goalie's legs, and it started a big kerfuffle. And then there was the hit from behind to, to Frederick from Boston that put him into the bench door on March 13th. That everyone is thinking, oh, that's a little bit of a nothing burger, whatever. But when you add all those little incidents up, they do equal one major incident. And this is the kind of stuff you do. You stop those smaller ones so the bigger ones never happen. And would you really argue that Brendan Lemieux isn't a repeat offender? Again, my system identifies the same people you would identify even just if you barely watched hockey. Matthew Kachuk enters the chat now. (laughs) He's another carryover repeat offender from last year. I've got him for kneeing on January 24th when he fell on Jack Campbell. And I got him again on February 19th and February 20th, two days in a row, both for his classic Kachuk turnaround flying butt checks. That is when he launches and turns his body and projects his butt into the opponent. He doesn't care where he hits them. A lot of players have this trend now where they hit with their back. I don't know if that thinks, if it, if they think it gets them off the hook for making head contact because it's not their arm and whatever, but they're still launching into it. It's the same idea as those hits on Cassian last year that the league was so sure was clean, but they lead to nonsense like this. If you punish them small, 
they don't lead to big crap like this. Now he has a habit. You watch every game, and even the lay fan is starting to notice it. Even when I pointed this out last year and no one was really paying attention, now the lay fan is just saying, wow, he seems to do that a lot. What's with the flying butt check? And I just want to pull my hair out because it could have been nipped in the bud way back when it first started if the NHL actually wanted to stop it. But no, they want people to launch into checks. They want heavy contact like that. They're not going to punish the small ones. They're only going to punish the obvious ones. But that's not how you eliminate a problem. That's how you punish an individual incident. But it doesn't solve the problem of the habits that are created by players, like my system does. And on March 6th, he did the same thing. Another flying butt check. So for me, he should be done for a long time. But again, under my system, all the things that I think he should be done for a long time for would never even have happened. Ben Sherrod, he cross-checked Wayne Simmons in the head on night one. And wouldn't you know it, I got him again for February 6th for cross-checking to the head. And again on February 20th for slew footing. So these are not things that, uh, it's just a judgment call by me. These are two cross-checks to the head and a slew foot. I mean, how easy are those to get out of the game? And would you, again, would you argue Ben Sherratt as a repeat offender? He butt-ended Corey Perry in the chin and put a, a butt-end size and shaped hole in Corey Perry's chin a couple years ago. Nothing came of it. And here he is now in 2021, and he's up to his old tricks, right? Why wouldn't we want that out of the game? So again, we had those other repeat offenders. Yes, my system is, is bound to have more repeat offenders than real life, but I don't think it would be unfair to them. I think those players would get the point and they'd stop doing what they're doing and they'd remain relatively clean players with a good track record. But it's the main contenders like the Kachaks and the Brendan Lemuse and the Tom Wilsons who show up time and time again, both in real world and under my system. And it's specifically because I'm consistent with all players that I can go harder on those multiple repeat offenders and, and have it make sense. And look no further than the Tom Wilson recent suspension debate when he got seven games for that boarding to Brandon Carlo. And people are going, well, geez, he hasn't been suspended in forever. He's really cleaned up his game. He doesn't do things like this anymore. And some people are even saying, well, that wasn't even that bad of a hit. So how could they possibly go hard on him? It looks like a reputation call. And it very much is a reputation call. Even in their video, they're saying, you know, this one necessarily wasn't that bad. But when you add up all those other ones, and it's exactly what I'm saying all along. But if you do that for everybody, then no one is going to question at all why you went harder on Tom Wilson because you're doing it to everybody. So it makes sense on a scale of my, like mine to have a higher suspension for Tom Wilson because everyone else is getting smaller suspensions. But when you go from not punishing anybody for anything and then dinging an individual player over and over again, yeah, it looks like you're playing favorites. It looks like you're being unfair to that player. And it is because you are being unfair to that player because you're not calling anything to try and stop him from doing it in the first place. At Tough Call, I'm not trying to pick on specific teams or individual players. I want to make the game safer for every player on every team, across every league really, with no player left behind. I want to cover as many incidents as I possibly can to increase the sample size and make a stronger case for how harsher penalties and properly targeted player education can work in reducing head contact in hockey, all instances of it. The Department of Player Safety supposedly has people watching every second of every game. 
Now, as much as I'd like to watch every game, as much as I try to, and as much as I'd like to have video of every questionable incident, the truth is, I'm only one man with an iPhone and the Game Center app. I already get a lot of help from people like you who send me videos or links to incidents, or even just a quick tweet or message saying, hey, did you see? Third period, Bolts-Kings game, checking to the head penalty. Something like that. It means a lot, and it makes a huge difference. Follow me on Twitter at at ToughCallBlog and like the Facebook page ToughCall and as you watch, if you see a cheap play or something dirty or anything that makes you go, hey you idiot, what are you watching? How did you miss that? Please send it my way. And a big thank you to those of you who already do. Keep them coming.